It's great to be back in the Lord's house. It's great to be seeing people again. It's like Andy said earlier, it's weird uh, talking to a camera every week. Uh, even though some are still joining us that way, and that's fine. It's good to have more than uh, four or five people here. Uh, about the time this whole pandemic started, we started a sermon series called Spread Hope. Just because we felt like that that was where the Lord wanted us to go. We felt like that was what was needed. Just that uh, all that was going on in our world, in our society, just, there was a lot of people that needed hope. And so we've been talking for, I think, six or seven weeks now about spreading hope. I actually want to wrap up that series this morning with a sermon uh, entitled Dealing with Hope Killers. Dealing with Hope Killers. Uh, today is also Pentecost Sunday. So it's sort of cool that we move back into our building on Pentecost Sunday as we celebrate uh, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper rooms. We celebrate the birth of the church and all that that entails. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes uh, this morning on some things that wreck our lives, some things that wreak havoc uh, in our relationships. Because when these things enter, when we let these things slip into our lives, uh, hope exits. It kills hope. Things like resentment, things like... Uh, uh, bitterness, worry, depression, guilt, comparison. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so what I want to do is sort of lay out the foundation, talk a little bit about power and authority, talk a little bit about purpose, the purpose behind those power and authority, and then we're sort of going to deal with the application of it as, as one whole point and sort of look through some of these things and how we deal with them. Uh, so I, I was talking to Josh between services. I said, man, I, I struggled with this all week, honestly, how to... Uh, present it in a, in a clear way because there's a lot of material, a lot of things I felt led to deal with and a lot of areas I felt led to go into. Um, but I'm just, as, as Angie prayed, it's all of the Lord. And uh, just pray for his anointing and his guidance. And, uh, he'll, he will use it, he will honor his word, and he will do what only he can do. Amen? So I'm going to start off uh, with recognize the power from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Uh, again, this is Pentecost Sunday, and as I shared in earlier service, I, I got to say, just right out of the gate, I want you to understand, uh, first off, this morning, that you have everything that you need to live a victorious Christian life. You have everything that you need to live the abundant life Jesus promised you. You have everything you need for a fulfilling life. If you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, you already have those things. Because all those things flow from Him. They flow through Him. They are derived from Him. All those things are based on our relationship with Christ. The second thing I would say is, if you're not where you should be in your walk with Him, then the blame is not His. The blame is yours. It's, it's that simple. He didn't move. He doesn't move. He's always there wanting uh, to receive us, loving us unconditionally. So uh, we can't blame Him for, work, for things that are lacking and for things that are not there. That's really what I wanted to say. Uh, the, the blame is on us. Amen? Amen? So again, I want to start off with recognizing power. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is that great passage where Paul goes into the whole uh, spiritual warfare thing. and talks about all the weapons that we have. And we'll, we'll get into some of that in a little bit. But what I want you to see here is the phrase that he starts out with. He says finally in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God and be able, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers 
over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, if, if Christians would just grasp those two verses, it would radically change your life. If you would realize and recognize that the enemy is not the person in the opposite party from you, the, the enemy is not the person that's the opposite color of you, that's not the case. The enemy is in the enemy. <laughs> it is Satan. And, and him and his forces are working through all kinds of things to wreak havoc. But again, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. If you get the weekly devotion that we sent out, there was two words uh, in that devotion this week. We talked about power. And, and I want to go into this, but this is what I really what I want you to see here about recognizing the power that you possess as a Christian. There's two words translated power in the New Testament. And again, the first one is the word dunamis. And it's where we get our English word dynamite. It's actually the root word of dynamite. And it means a demonstration of physical power. The, the, the definition technically is rightful and legitimate exercise of physical power. The second word that means power in the New Testament, actually the less commonly used one, is the word kratos. K-R-A-T-O-S. It literally means domain, strength, manifested power, or strength and power in a reigning authority. When it's used in the New Testament, it's usually used in conjunction with God, with God's kingdom, with God's dominion, with His majesty and, and His power. But the cool thing about this word, this second word, kratos, kratos, is that it sort of connects the idea of authority and power. And it sort of puts them together. And it takes those two very similar concepts and, and really marries them into to one word. So, as I said in the devotion we, we did midweek, Think about the most powerful person that you know. I mean, the first one that pops in my mind is the president. Again, it doesn't matter what your party affiliation is. Uh, you know, if, he's, if, if in your mind he's not the most powerful person on the planet, he's got to be in the top two or three. But what I want you to think about is what gives him that authority. What gives President Trump the authority and the power that he possesses? So think about that. And the illustrations I gave uh, earlier uh, is it because you know he controls the, the one of the largest economies on the planet. Is that what gives him the power and authority that he possesses? No, that, that's not it. Is it because he has some guy with a briefcase carrying him around, uh, carrying around a briefcase, following him with nuclear launch codes in it? You know, is that what gives him power and authority? Of course, that, that's not what does it either. Is it because he commands the, one of the world's, if not the world's most advanced military power? No, that's not what gives him authority and power. So, again, what gives him authority and power? His position. He has the authority he has and the power that he has, not because he's Donald Trump, but because of the position that he occupies. See, this is very important because it works the same way for us as Christians. You see, you and I have power. Through Christ, because of our position in Christ. It's not because I, I pastor a church or because I get up here every week and try to suffer through something and terrorize you and make you go to sleep. Right? It's, it's not because of, uh, you know, Bible college or, or, or anything like that. None of those things matter. Power and authority, the power and authority that I possess as a Christian and, you know, as a pastor and as a person in ministry comes from my relational connection with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. That's where it comes from. And, and it, it it's not just me. It's all of us. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have that same power and 
authority. Again, it's not because of who you are, per se, but because of who you are in Christ. It's the relational connection to Christ. That's what I want you to see this morning. You've got to recognize the power. You've got to recognize the power that you possess because of your relational connection to Jesus Christ. So let's talk about authority for a second. As I shared earlier, there's two kinds of authority. There's intrinsic authority and there's delegated authority. God has intrinsic authority. He is who He is. He is all-powerful. He always is, always has been, and always will be. There is nothing. It's not because of the position He occupies. It's not because of any outward force. He has that power and authority within Himself. It's intrinsic. He doesn't need nobody else to give Him a power trip. He is who He is regardless. You with me? Amen? Amen. So the other kind of power and authority, or the other kind of authority, is delegated. So if, 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 if it's not intrinsic, then it has to be delegated. So what I want you to see here is that you and I as Christians have delegated authority. Because of who we are in Christ. Again, because of that relational connection. Not because of who we are and what we've done or what we had not done. And how good a life we lived or how bad a life we lived. This is because of our relational connection to Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, you have everything that you need to live a fulfilling, you know, victorious, abundant life in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no need for anything else. But see, the problem is we want to take Jesus and mix him in with 10 or 12 other things. We want to make it Jesus plus something. But it's Jesus plus nothing. In him is everything that you need. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. We draw our strength. We draw our authority, we draw our dominion from Jesus and His power. That's, that's all you need to see here. You are no match for the enemy in yourself, but with Christ and what you have in Christ, He's no match for you. Because of the strength, the authority, and the power that you possess in Christ. You with me? Amen? Amen. Alright, let's move to the second one. The second one is realize the purpose. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5. through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right after that last passage in Ephesians, Paul goes into that long list of spiritual weaponry that we possess. Some of those are offenses, some of those are defenses. He talks about the belt of truth. As I said earlier, it's just, it's just about truth. You know, truth has to pervade every area of, of your life. The, you, we read the word of truth, the Bible, and that truth must permeate every area of my life. But see, what happens is we're bad to separate things. And we think, well, I'll live this way over here and I'll live this way over here. I'll act this way at work and I'll act this way at home. But that don't work. Because it's the belt of truth that holds everything else together. If you study that, the imagery of that Roman soldier, it was the belt that, t- that tied it all together. If you lose the belt, you lose it all. And if you're not walking in complete and total truth in all things, in every area of your life, then you've lost it from the start. Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. It's just the idea that my heart and my life are, are, are ruled by righteousness because I've been transformed by Christ. And I have the Holy Spirit of righteousness within me. And that righteousness, again, it'll permeate everything in my life. Or at least he wants to. In my conduct and my character, they have to match up. Again, I can't be one thing, one thing, and something else at another time. 
It's like that idea of righteousness is always there and it's constantly permeating my character and my conduct. Then he talks about the shoes of preparation and peace. And this, the idea there is just being prepared, having that solid foundation of Christ and the peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. And that no matter what may come up, I have peace because of my firm foundation on Jesus Christ and that relational connection to Him. Amen? Amen. Then he talks about the shield of faith. Just living and walking by faith. He says it's that shield of faith that protects us against the attacks of the enemy. Because when I hear something that's not true, all i got to do is stand. Again, it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. What matters is what God has said on this situation. And so I stand by faith on the Word of God and that protects me against the attacks of the enemy. Then he talks about the helmet of salvation. About guarding our mind. Guarding our minds against attack. Reading scripture, memorizing scripture, storing scripture in our heart. That, that, that's the, the helmet of salvation. He talks about the sword of the spirit. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's the rhema word. Is the idea there. It's the spoken word. You go look at Jesus in the gospels when he was tempted by Satan. What does he do? Does he say, hey, go talk to my pastor? No, what's he do? He, he speaks scripture. Right? That's the rhema word. That is the word spoken. But here's the deal. The problem is we live in... And we're living in a time when a lot of Christians have no knowledge of the Word. And so they don't know what to speak. There's nothing there to speak. If I hadn't hid the Word in my heart as His Word tells me to, when those times come, I don't know what to say. And so I get constantly bombarded and constantly beat up. And the enemy has a heyday in my life. Because I haven't taken the time to store the Word in my heart. You see, the Holy Spirit, we recall, He'll help me with that. Speaking that rhema word to the situation. We'll talk about that in a minute. About strategies. But listen, he can't he can't recall what's not there. You've got to store the word in your heart. And the last thing he mentions is prayer. This spirit-led, spirit-empowered prayer, strategic, praying strategically. I, I, again, I mentioned earlier, we, I, I remember saying one time that uh, told this guy that prayer was the intercontinental ballistic missile in the Christian wall. Of course, he laughed at me, but that's okay. But it is. There's no barrier to it. I can pray for situations right here in our church. I can pray for situations in the States. I can pray for situations in Peru. I can pray for situations in Europe. And I'm not bound by geography. There's nothing that stands in the way of my effective, spirit-led, spirit-empowered prayer right here changing something on the other side of the globe. I can reach all around the world with prayer. i got to get back to the text. Look. He says, realize the purpose. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Again, the enemy is not the guy on the other side of the aisle. The enemy is not the guy that's the other fellow. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So these weapons that we just went through, that whole list he gives us, they're provided by God. But he didn't just give us the weapons. He also gives us strategies. This word... The weapons of our warfare. That word warfare literally is the word stratos or strategies. That's where we get our English word strategy. And again, as I said earlier, I wasn't alive when the Allied troops invaded the beaches of Normandy. But I know they had a strategy. They didn't just roll up there one day and say, hey, let's go get them, guys. And they all jumped out of their boat and take off at the beaches. Right? There was a strategy. Again, I, I do remember the start of the Gulf War. I remember seeing uh, bombs exploding in Baghdad, the whole shock and all thing. 
and, and, and as I said earlier, you know, I, I'm pretty sure those ship, those uh, bombers come from the aircraft carrier buyers in the Persian Gulf. And when they left, they had a strategy. They didn't just take off with the ship and fly from Baghdad, just drop the bomb wherever they wanted to drop the bomb, right? There were strategic targets. And it's always that way. Every time our military walks out of the base and leaves the barrier, there is a strategy to the mission. And what I want you to see here this morning is that we also have the strategy. And the strategy is the Holy Spirit. And listen, the problem is we see things and we hear things and God shows us things, but instead of stopping and asking the Holy Spirit, how do I deal with this? We just take off. At least I do. I don't know about you. And then I make a big old mess up. And then when it's a big old mess, I stop and I pray God to God, help me fix this. And he says, why didn't you pray back here? Why don't you ask me how to fix this before you ever took off? Or, you know, again, I'm just telling you how I live. But, but that's what that word means. So he gives us the weapon, and he also gives us the strategy. And the strategy is the Holy Spirit within me. And he's within you if you're in Christ. And if we will stop and listen, he will tell us. The key to every victory in your life, Holy Spirit knows. As I said this morning, he's not some junior God. He's not half the story or half the picture. He knows it all. He's all-knowing. He knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows what's coming next week. He knows that person he's led you to pray with. He knows what's going on in your life. And he knows what they need. If we'll just stop and ask. Yes, yes. Amen. That's right. And say, Lord, what's the strategy here? How do I deal with this? What do I need to do in this situation? God, how can I help this person? And, and, you know, it's not about praying perfect prayers in King James English. You can be real. I'm real. God, I want to smack this guy in the face. He made me mad. What do I need to do? That's a whole other story. But listen, all I'm saying is you, you got to be real. And God loves you, and God knows you, He created you, He's concerned about how you feel, He's concerned about your heart. And just be real, just tell Him how you feel. It's just a conversation. It ain't got to be, oh, deep thou, most heavenly, gracious Father of the universe, and this, you know, eloquent, wordy prayer. Just be real. Prayer is a conversation, it's a two way conversation. I pray to God, and God answers. All I'm saying is, listen, He not just He didn't give you the weapons, but He gave you the strategy. The Holy Spirit, if we'll just stop and ask. Notice what he says next. He says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Supernatural walk that he's taught us to walk. Amen? You agree with that? Yes, it's supernatural weapons that he's gave us, and it's a supernatural warfare. So the things of my flesh, the tactics that I can come up with my mind, usually get me in trouble. I'm just being honest. When, when, I, when I get in a board meeting here at the church or, or a meeting with a pastor's council and I start thinking from my mind and coming up with a solution, I usually end up in trouble because my fleshly mind don't always see and can't always see the supernatural reality. That when I stop and say, Holy Spirit, here's the situation. Tell me what I need to do. You'll never lose. Because he has the key to victory. He has the key to victory. So my fleshly efforts won't matter and don't work because it's not a fleshly battle. 
It's a supernatural battle. It's supernatural weapons. It's a supernatural strategy. And it's a supernatural power. But again, again, what, what I want you to see is that you're equipped for this war. He's given you the weapons. He's given you the strategy. He's given you all these things. Notice why at the end of verse 4. He says, those things have divine power. Again, they're supernatural. To what? To destroy strongholds. Hmm. What's a stronghold? I'll be honest with you. I've never heard that word in my life until probably 10 years ago. Then I realized I had a bunch of them. <laughs> What's a stronghold? A stronghold in its simplest form is anything that opposes God's will. Specifically here in context, he's talking about strongholds of the mind. The, the lies that we believe in our mind. We've been, uh, took some training on, on a form of ministry that we do here at our church some, and that, that ministry calls them ungodly beliefs. It's basically any, any, anything I have in my mind, any idea I have in my mind, any thought I have in my mind uh, that I'm governing my life by, even though sometimes we don't realize it, that, that does not line up with the Word of God. It's a stronghold. There's a longer, more formal definition on the screen. It is a place of personal bondage where God's Word has been subjugated. Subjugated means basically overpressed, controlled, overtaken. By, to any unscriptural idea or personally confused belief that is held to be true. So let me read that again. A place of personal bondage where God's word has been subjugated to any unscriptural idea or personally confused belief that is held to be true. Again, in its simplest form, any belief I have that doesn't align itself with the word of God is a stronghold. So what happens? The way this works, very quickly, very simply, is I believe one lie. And that's like the first brick in the castle. And then the enemy gets me to buy into another lie. And that's the second brick. And it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. And I mean, I guess the picture of a stronghold is like a fortress, a castle that he's built in our minds. The battlefield is the mind. That's where the battle fought. And so he builds these fortresses in our mind that's all based on lies. And so he, he, and by doing so, he gets us way off over here on some tangent that doesn't line up with God's word. And we don't realize we're over here because we bought it hook, line, and center. And we've let him build line on top of line on top of line on top of line. And we're way off over here somewhere in the left field that he never intended for us to be. And that's where we find ourselves. Let me share a couple, couple of examples with you. One you hear very often. God can never love me because of blank. There's people who think that because of something in their life or something they've done or somewhere they've been, something that God can't love them. That's a lie. Another one you hear a lot, I've done too much for God to forgive me. And I, and I said this earlier, a lot of times this comes from people that sort of grew up in a legalistic kind of church culture and they, they like to like grade sin and, they, and there's like this cardinal sin over here that you can never commit and if you commit this sin then there's no hope for you I mean, honestly there's people that believe that yeah. usually it's one of two or three things right. divorce which is crazy yeah. adultery murder or suicide yeah. 
That's usually like the top of the list. And people believe that, hey, I, you know, I've done these things. Hey, I, you know, and the, so therefore God can't forgive me. That's a lie. You're saying that there's a limit to the, to the death of Christ on the cross. How crazy is that? There's no limit to what Christ did on the cross. There's no sin too great that he can't forgive. But there's people who believe that. Seriously. The next one. We hear a lot. I can never be free of this addiction to blank. Again, whatever you want to put into blank, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. An addiction is an addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's drugs, alcohol. Again, it doesn't matter. But it's a lie to believe that I can never be free from those things. The next one. I will always be poor. I throw that in there because you hear that a lot. Poverty is a curse, by the way. You won't always be poor. The last one, the last example I was going to share is I will always struggle with blank. Again, fill in the blank. I'll always struggle with anger. I'll always struggle with pride. It's just who I am. That's what you hear. My mom and daddy was this way. That's the way I am. No. It's not genetic. It's spiritual. All we need to see here is that we have the weapons, we have the strategy, the fleshy things don't work, but they are supernaturally powered to destroy these strongholds. And that's what I want to do this morning. I've entitled the last section, Remove the Parasites. Hebrews 12 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The word there literally is to basically con, con, uh, constrict to the point of control. Like you've got it so tight that you're driving this thing. That's where the word parasite comes from. That's the idea. So let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance to the, the race that is, so, that is set, for, set, I'll get it right to say, set before us. So as I said earlier, if you don't mind, just close your eyes for me. I, don't, I just want you to catch this picture in your mind. And if you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine too. But just, just catch this image. So you, you're watching the Olympics, right? This is the Tokyo Olympics of 2020. It didn't get canceled. And you, and you see this stadium and the camera pans down on the, the track. And on that running track, there's 12 lanes. And you see 12 runners lined up getting ready to run the 5,000 meter run, the longest run of the Olympics. And you, 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 as the camera pans across that lineup of 12 runners, it gets to about the middle. And you see this guy standing there. And he don't have on the, the running shorts and the running shoes and all the wind-resistant, lightweight stuff. He has on a trench coat. And under the trench coat, he's got a sweater. And he's got on cargo pants with all these pockets, like army fatigues. And he's got on silk-toed workmen's. All right, look at him. Is that guy going to win the race? Probably not. I think he's going to finish it. Probably not. 5,000 meters is a long way with all that extra weight. That image is what this verse is talking about. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great kind of witnesses, and again, like I said earlier, we want to get all wrapped up on the cloud of witnesses and who that is. And I'm just thankful they're there and I'm thankful they're watching I'm not worried about it. Because that, <laughs> that's not the key to the verse. The key to the verse is the next thing. Yeah. 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That, that Olympic runner is the exact image that Luke presents in there. And he's in it for the long run. He talks about running with endurance. It's not a, not a short race. So what I want you to see is we have to shed the, the extra weight. We have to shed the baggage. We have to shed the, the, the spiritual fat, the parasites, the strongholds, the, the hope killers, whatever you want to call them. The thing that keeps tripping you up time and time and time and time again, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to remove those things from your life. He says, lay aside, lay aside every weight of the sin that just wants to control you. So what I want to do this morning, I don't have time to go into all these in detail, but I want to just sort of walk through some, some of the hope killers, some of the common things that, that came to mind and thought about as I read and looked at some other things. And I just want to allow the Lord to deal with these things. I've just been praying that he would just uh, convict us, that he would reveal, that he would just lead as he always does. So basically I'm going to call it out and I'm going to give a little explanation of it. Then I'm going to uh, basically share a little truth. And I'm going to give you like three little starter steps. Okay? So if, you walk, if you're dealing with one of these things, just uh, maybe jot down references or I'll be glad to email them to you if you'll shoot me a text or an email or call or whatever and, and share them with you. But just like three little starter steps. Because again, this is a long process. And uh, I can't go into all of them in detail. But I do want to uh, just share some, some truth and some, some steps to walk out of these things. Okay? The first one is bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment. That's a parasite we see a lot. And it destroys relationships. And, you know, we get to the point where we think people have hurt us. And sometimes they have. We perceive and think people have hurt us who haven't really hurt us. And, you know, but we get, sometimes we get to a point where we just have a hard time dealing with other people. Or we can't stand to be around some people. Um, you feel hurt. You feel wounded. Right? And... If you let that bitterness and that resentment boil in your heart, then you've ruined that relationship. And that bitterness and resentment will keep you from walking in and becoming who God wants you to be. The Bible says don't let a root of bitterness spring up inside of you. You've got to deal with these things. So let me give you three little steps to start with. The first one is speak the truth to them. Ephesians 4.25 If you feel hurt, then you need to go to them. Maybe they meant it the way you received it. Maybe they didn't, but that doesn't matter. You need to go to them, and you need to speak the truth to them. You say, hey, you said this, and I felt whatever. You don't got to accuse them. Just say, well, you know, we were, we were here, and this was going on, and you said this, and I took it this way, and it hurt me. That's all you got to say. But speak the truth to them and tell them the situation. Number two, let go of the offense and forgive them. Colossians 3.13. As I said earlier, it's not you're not going to probably not going to feel like forgiving them, but that doesn't matter. We, we don't live our Christian life based on feelings. The Bible commands us to forgive, and we have to let go of the offense and forgive. Because holding on to that is doing far more hurt to you than it ever is them. I promise. They probably don't even remember. That's what usually is usually the case. And then number three, free yourself from these destructive mindsets. Hebrews twelve fifteen. Again, you just we can't be who God's called us to be if we're harboring resentment and bitterness toward anybody. So that's parasite number one. Work, hope killer number one. The second one is worry, anxiety, and depression. Worry, anxiety, and depression. So do you constantly worry about finances? Do you constantly worry about paying the bills and buying groceries and all those things? Does anxiety cripple you and keep you from living the life that you 
desiring a life you know that you were called to live? Do you find yourself fearful over situations and circumstances that are way beyond your control anyway? Maybe you're so depressed that you can't probably get out of bed anymore. You just feel this heaviness and this despair in your life. So what do you do? Look at this. Number one is you cast your worries, burdens, and troubles on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7. Yeah, not, this is the, the easy Christian answer to give you. But that's not it at all. This is where you have to start. I'm not giving you this verse and telling you to cast your cares on him because that's the easy cop-out. I'm giving you this verse and telling you that because that's where you have to start. Because you're carrying things that are not yours to carry. You're carrying things that you were never designed to carry. And so the first part and the first way out of that is to truly give those worries and burdens and troubles to the one to whom they rightfully belong, and that's our Heavenly Father. So cast your worries, burdens, and troubles on the Lord. Number two, seek Him first and know that He is faithful and can provide. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. That's actually one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. Verse 31 says that the Heavenly Father knows that we have need of these things, and basically He's going to provide. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the verse says. And I always tell people when I talk to them about worry and anxiety, I mean, you really stop and think about that fact. If, if the Heavenly Father that created everything I see and spoke the world into existence, if He knows that I have a need, what more can I do? Right? He's God. So how about this resting in Him and who He is and His faithfulness and know that He'll take care of it? And then the second part of that is this seeking first. He's, it's about priorities. Again, this is what the last 60 days has been about, I believe. It's about rearranging priorities. Because the things that didn't matter 60 days ago, they matter now. It's the things that didn't matter 60 days ago, we don't even worry about them anymore, right? Rearranging priorities. 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what he calls us to do. If we'll put him first, count on his faithfulness, he'll take care of us. And then number three, focus your attention on the unchanging word and faithful character of God, Philippians 4 8. Again, it's not about the situation that I'm in and where I find myself. It's about the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father and the love He has for me and knowing that He is faithful and He will provide. Number three. Number three. Comparison. I always feel like you don't measure up, like you're nothing in comparison to others, like you're different from everyone else. Feel insufficient, incompetent, inadequate. So if you find yourself caught up in this one, what do you do? Number one is quit complaining, quit comparing, excuse me, quit comparing yourself to everyone else. 2 Corinthians 10 12. Again, everyone else is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And when we compare ourselves to the rightful standard, we all see that we got a lot of ways to go. But quit comparing yourself to everyone else. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 is a reference there. Listen, uh, let me just go to number two and I'll tie it all together. Number two, understand that you are unique and, and, uh, and divine and have a divine design. Psalm 139, 13, that verse talks about how he knit us together in our mother's womb and how he put together the exact mixture and makeup of exactly who we needed to be to do what he's taught us to do. And when we understand that in the context of comparison, we realize that I won't compare to everyone else. Because none of us are alike. 
We may think we are, and there's similarities, absolutely, but none of us are identical. And God's called us all to do different things, so we can't compare ourselves to each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's flawed from the get-go. Number three, celebrate the uniqueness that makes you uniquely you. First Corinthians 12, 11. Again, it's just understanding that I don't compare myself with everyone else. I compare myself with the Lord. I understand that He created me for a unique plan and purpose, and I had to stand in that. And I had to not, not compare myself with others, but celebrate who I am in Christ. Amen? I mean, I'm thankful for diversity. I'm thankful that our, our church is not filled with a hundred of me, because that would be awful. I mean, seriously. We would never get nothing done. <laughs> Celebrate the uniqueness that makes you uniquely you. All right, parasite number four is guilt, shame, and past failures. This is a big one. Feeling trapped in a prison of guilt because of the past. The enemy constantly reminding you of the past. Feel like you can't move forward because of the past. Being crippled by the past. Man, it goes on and on and on. There are a lot of people living right here. Again, because of that legalistic mindset. What do you do? Number one, recognize the enemy's tactics. Psalm 44, verses 15 and 16. So again, paraphrasing the passage, the psalmist basically says that my sins are constantly before me, that the enemy is constantly reminding me of yesterday. That's the enemy's tactic. That's the way it works. Because if you're living for him today, there ain't nothing for him to bring up. So he harbors up the past. And he goes and drags stuff out of the closet that he thought was long gone. He says, hey, why, why are you saying that? You remember what you did back here a couple years ago? Or, hey, you don't have no right to talk to them about that. You were doing the exact same thing six years ago. Right? That's what he does. But that's his tactic. you got to recognize that. Number two, accept responsibility for your part in the past. Psalm 51. I love Psalm 51. It's a basically a repentant, repentant, repentant psalm of David. And he just pours out his heart to the Lord. Yes. If you had never read it, go read it. The whole psalm. It's only about uh, what, 13, 14 verses, I think. It's great. He says, uh, Create a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, Father. He just pours out his heart. It's after this whole deal with Bathsheba and that whole mess. And he's just being real. Again, he's being real. So he pours out his heart to the Lord. But what I want you to see here is you've got to own it. You've got to quit blaming everybody else and making everybody else's problem. You've got to own, own it. You have to accept responsibility for your part in the past. And that, and that means what? That means repentance more than likely if you did something wrong. You need to repent of that and you need to deal with it. But it also probably means forgiveness. That maybe you need to go ask for someone else to forgive. Or you need to, you need to receive forgiveness. Whatever. But it's self responsibility. And then number three, the last one, is embrace the future. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. I can't change the past. Past is gone. The great thing I did put up here is Psalm 103, where it says that as far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our sins from us. You see, he don't remember those things. If, if I've dealt with them, if I've asked forgiveness... If I apply the blood of Jesus to them, they're gone. He don't remember them. But the instantly constantly reminds me of The enemy constantly reminds me of Can't change it. I can accept responsibility. I can repent. I can deal with forgiveness. And I can move on. 
And then I got to embrace the future. Because the future is changing. Because God is in it. Amen? Amen? And I can let him work and make me do and do all those things that he wants to do. But guilt, shame, and past failures is the start of dealing with it. So I'm going to ask musicians if they want to, to make their way up. Listen, he has provided the power to deal with these things through Jesus. And he did, he gave us the power and the authority for a purpose. And that purpose was to destroy the strongholds. Maybe you need to deal with one of these parasites I mentioned. Maybe the Lord has revealed something to you that ain't even up here. Because he'll do that. He don't need me to mention it. He can do it. But maybe there's something that sort of come up this morning that you need to deal with. So I'm going to be down here and I'll be honored to pray with you. Uh, we'll put the email address on the screen, the hope at yourrefuge.church we've been dealing with. Uh, also the number for the text, 704-703-3717. You can text uh, in your concern. You can email it in. We'll respond as we can. Uh, but listen, all, all I'll share is our steps to start the process. And it is a process. We, uh, the ministry I mentioned earlier that Chas and I trained on, we led a lot of people through that and seen great success with that. And for something in your life that you want to walk through that with and take that journey and you know, break free and walk in freedom, we'll be honored to, to walk you through that process. I, I just, again, I've been here.
So Father, I just pray that you come in this time of response and invitation that you would uh, just help everyone to be obedient. God, just give them the strength to do whatever they need to do. God, if they need to come up for prayer, if they need to shoot off an email to us, if they need to text us, God, just help them take that first step out of the mess that they're in this morning. Be a bee.